Ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, welcome to another episode of Pod Tiki. My name is Tony, and today we're doing another special episode of Pod Tiki Tiki Chats. And we've got a special guest on today that I've actually been wanting to talk to for a while, but didn't really have anything that I thought was going to be new and unique to talk about that I hadn't heard this individual talking about in articles or other other podcasts. And then something came up. As you guys might know, if you listen to the podcast regularly, I got the chance to go to Kauai with my wife last summer as our COVID delayed honeymoon. But one of the things that was fascinating me the most was with the exception of one tiki bar, Tiki and Iki, which might be my all-time favorite tiki bar, they tried to make their best version of what we nerds might see as the original Trader Vic Mai Tai. But one of the things that jumped out at me was how the drinks in Hawaii, especially the Mai Tai, were different. Were not not quite what we would think of the quote-unquote original Mai Tai, traditional Mai Tai. Whereas what's weird, though, is I bet most people who aren't tiki nerds like myself probably would look at the Hawaiian Mai Tai like it was the original Mai Tai. It reminds me of going to Chinese restaurants with my mom as a child and her ordering a Mai Tai and it having this little pinkish hue to it. And I was wondering, what, what, is that, what, was that, what, what was that like? What did that taste like? I remember I, drinking my Shirley Temples. I couldn't wait to grow up and taste a real Mai Tai at a Chinese restaurant. But years ago, when I first got into the, the adventure that has become my life of tiki, the first Mai Tai recipe I ever found was a dark rum float, pineapple juice infused Mai Tai recipe. And it wasn't until later I, I found my way, but I've always been fascinated by these drinks that, that we think of as not being the OGs, but still have a viable place in the tiki lexicon. And when you make a Hawaiian Mai Tai with good rum and fresh juices it really is its own exquisite drink in its own right and before i babble on too much i need to just get into it so i can explain to you guys what i'm talking about so without further ado let me introduce to you you might know him on instagram or social media as the ultimate mai tai let's give a warm welcome to the podcast to mr kevin crossman hey tony aloha welcome uh thanks for having me really interested to talk to you about the hawaiian mai tai thanks for having me yeah. And the reason that I was speaking of earlier that uh, got me to finally ask you to come on the show was because you have some timing worked out just right. You have some uh, some pro- project going on right now where you're actually explaining to the world in a way better way than I just did exactly what the Hawaiian Mai Tai is and how it I like the word you use de evolved. That's right. Well, I got covid right after New Year's, and I was stuck in my office living for a whole week plus with nothing to do but have my computer and, uh, you know, the cotton here. And so I was bored and I started looking around. I thought, you know what, I bet if I go to one of these newspaper sites, I can find some old historic recipes for the Mai Tai and see how how it evolved over time. And so that was my little project that I did. And it turned into a whole article that is going to be published in Exotica Modern Magazine. Uh, it, it, that issue, issue 15, will launch in conjunction with Tiki Caliente in mid-May and then be available on the House of Taboo website. That's House of Taboo with a 
T-A-B-U.com address. You go to Taboo that doesn't spell that way. It is a much, much <laughs> different website. House of Taboo. So anyway, that's where you can get Exotica, Exotica Modern Magazine. And I'm also going to be publishing this article in uh, on the ultimatemytie.com website as well once that article comes out. So before we dive into exactly what we're talking about with the, with the article and everything, let's just give it my listeners. I'm, sure, You know, obviously, this is probably a waste of time because I bet all of my listeners probably already know who you are. So but let's just let me ask you then, man, like, how did this all start for you? What was what was the impetus of like, why was the Mai Tai your what you've dedicated this journey for? Yeah, okay, thanks. You know, it's a long, little bit of a long story, and I'll try to make it short. But back in the 90s, when I was a much younger man, I built a whole bunch of really crazy websites for a bunch of stupid things like Lip Balm Anonymous and a bunch of other things. And I, one of the ones that I built because I was interested in exotica and tiki cocktails and eventually focusing on the Mai Tai was the Search for the Ultimate Mai Tai website that I launched in 1998. And the reason it was, was because I had heard all these things about the Mai Tai, but most of the Mai Tais I tried were really terrible. And, but we do have a Trader Vic's here in the San Francisco Bay area, which I went and visited. And man, that was a really great Mai Tai. So I thought, surely there must be some other great Mai Tais out there. And so I built the, built the website that explained the history, had some essays um, and then there was a little bit of a way for people to submit reviews for Mai Tais that they had uh, in different places around the world. And it you know, got a little bit of attraction over the next few years, but I started having kids and I started uh, not going out as much. Mm-hmm. And I sort of put the tiki stuff a little bit on the back burner and did some other things. I hosted a podcast about NBC's The Office and did some other things like that. And then a few years back, I got much more interested in the rum and tiki and all that stuff again. And so I'd launched Ultimate Mai Tai as the Instagram handle to sort of relaunch this uh, initiative and effort for the search for the Ultimate Mai Tai. And then I launched uh, ultimatemaitai.com a couple of years ago to house all of these materials, um, which includes a blog, but also articles and, and write-ups like the one we're going to talk about. And man, I got to tell you, I... Um... I get it now, even though it frustrates me because um, I tend to be more of a purist when it comes to my drinks. And uh, and I love how tiki in especially is so amenable to to uh, experimentation. But I always do like to I always figure in most cases, there's a lot of people that know a lot more about this, that put a lot more work and trial and effort into it than I can ever make up in my kitchen. So I'm going to go with the way that they meant the drink to be. But when you come, when it comes to the Mai Tai, and especially nowadays with everybody creating their own rum blends, it's, it truly is. Uh, it's like those people down in Florida who are always on the search for the ultimate key lime pie. Like it's, <laughs> it's almost like it's never going to happen. There is no perfect key lime pie and may, there might not be, an ultimate Mai Tai. It might, I guess it is sometimes up to, up to, uh, I guess we'll never know exactly what it quote unquote should have been unless we, somebody has, is hiding a bottle of 17 year old Ray and nephew, but it is, um, I guess I I have to give in to the fact that the Mai Tai is just one of those drinks that is super open to interpretation. Well, you know, it's a pretty simple drink. And as you noted, the rum is a big component of it. And that's why I think a lot of days, these craft cocktail 
bars and restaurants are really leaning into using the Mai Tai, bringing back the Mai Tai so they can show off their rum blends, their house-made ingredients and uh, all that. Plus all the people that are doing little different riffs, um, you know, the bitter Mai Tai with Campari and, and whatnot. So it's a really great time to be uh, into the craft cocktail movement and trying these things around the world and just sharing everyone, sharing your feedback on what's good and what's maybe not so good. So it's interesting. Uh, maybe before we get into the Hawaiian Mai Tai, we should go over the basics of, you know, just the original Mai Tai or what we know as, in, in, as nerds as the original Mai Tai. Sure. Well, the original Trader Vic's recipe for the Mai Tai invented in 1944, two ounces of a aged Jamaican rum. You noted that the 17-year-old Ray nephew was the original, but it basically, think of a, a good Mai Tai as having two ounces of a really good rum. You have a half ounce of orange curacao, which is an orange liqueur. You have a half, half ounce of orja, which is a almond syrup. Uh, so it's that's your sweetener. Quarter ounce of rock candy syrup or demerara syrup or something like that is what uh, was in the original recipe, plus the juice of one lime. And... These days, most people are using that as one ounce or three quarters ounces, depending on what you're doing. And Trader Vic eventually at some point in one of his books did say juice of one lime equals an ounce. So, you know, you got your, you got your, um, you have your lime, you've got your orja, your, your sugar, your orange curacao and rum. So basically five ingredients and that's your traditional mic time. So I'm glad that, uh, you know, Vic actually came out and eventually gave a an ounce to that because if we went by modern day standards, I don't know when the last time you went to the grocery store was, but I'm sure you've picked out limes recently, and they are grotesquely uh, mutant giant limes that we have. Uh, I don't know how you guys get limes on the West Coast, but I'm sure. Uh, but I don't know where I was coming from, probably Mexico. But it seems like all the fruit nowadays has been just steroided to hell and giant. And I'm like, man, this is not what a lime is supposed to look like. <laughs> I, I've had limes that give me a half ounce. I've had limes that give me almost three ounces. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, and the, the reason that measurement is important is if you do the juice of one lime and it's a big, giant, fat lime, and then you have the same rest of your ingredients, that will be a very sour Mai Tai. It will. So that's why you got to measure everything so that you keep everything in proportion. I ran across that same uh, predicament when I was doing the... Uh, Florida daiquiri because Constantino would grow his own limes and his like behind the bar or in his backyard or something. And they were all relatively the same size. And he just, he just would do, you know, a half a lime per, per daiquiri. And I guess it eventually it, people just figured out it, a half a lime was about three quarter ounce. And we just go with that. But those, you, you said something interesting, the basically two ounces of a good rum. So I've always wondered this, was it, now we know the original 17 year old Ray and nephew that Vic used uh, went extinct during his lifetime. And so he switched to the Jamaican, half Jamaican, half Martinican rum, uh, which everybody assumed was rum agricole, which we later found out may not have been, was probably more of a Martinican molasses based rum. Uh, so I guess if he was able to, play with the recipe in his own if the creator was able to mess with the recipe i guess is that what 
pretty much set the guidelines that hey, it's okay to mess with this and make your own recipes up. Yeah, absolutely, I, I can I can appreciate people who might say that you can't make a daiquiri without Cuban rum, but people who say you can't make a mai tai unless it has Jamaican rum uh, haven't really been paying attention because, as you noted, Trader Vic's used uh, rum from Martinique. Uh, they actually used um, a rum agricole St. James as early as 1958 and was on their menu into the you know late 1990s as saying this is what you should be using. So those are two very different kinds of uh, rums. As we talk, as we'll talk about, he, he used all kinds of different rums in Mai Tais. And they even issued a Mai Tai rum blend as a retail product in the 60s and 70s into the 80s. And that was a mix of Jamaican, um, Martinique, and I think Virgin Islands. So it was a rum blend. Yeah, <clears throat> I... I think I, we were talking a little bit before we started recording, and I got to say my favorite right now is a toss-up between the Denizen Merchants Reserve. And sometimes if I'm feeling like I want a little bit more funk, I'll just I'll throw a little bit of a you know extra pot still or or some something, something in there. But and I got to say I I when I found out about the uh, the Jamaican slash Martinican molasses, I. As, as great as that is, I still find myself going back to the agricole sometimes. I just, it gives it such a unique, like grassy kind of, kind of flavor to it. Uh, and I got to say, I think, I think Jeff Berry hit it out of the park with that, with the, uh, the Appleton 12 and the, and the VSOP from Clement. I mean, it's just yeah. very basic. I have, maybe I just haven't gotten to the point where I'm making my own blends at home yet. I, I've, I've tried it a couple of times out of some of my favorite rums. And I've realized that old, uh, that old adage about, I remember when I was a when I was a teenager, I used to work at Taco Bell, and when I worked at Taco Bell, we used to love double decker tacos, and we thought, well, we love meat and we love the beans and the cheese, so we just put if we just overflow it with the stuff we like, it's going to be even better, right? And then you realize that no, you have to have the perfect balance of beans inside the shell to make it. Otherwise, it's it it's just it's not it, it throws the whole taco off balance and it sucks. And I realized that sometimes picking like two or three rums that I like to try to put into a Mai Tai doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a great Mai Tai. That's true. It's the first time I've heard Taco Bell as a uh, analogy (laughs) to craft cocktails, but I think that did seem to make a lot of sense. Yes. So, all right, we've established what the Tiki genre uh, classifies as the original Mai Tai. So what are we talking about when we say Hawaiian Mai Tai, man? Well, it's, it's interesting because everybody knows what a Mai Tai is, or they think they know it's some sort of rum drink, right? It's a world famous drink along the lines of a daiquiri or a margarita or something like that. And did it become world famous when Trader Vic issued the first Mai Tai in his service bar in Oakland, California in 1944? No, no, it did not. Uh, It didn't become famous when he opened a restaurant called the Outrigger. It was later renamed Trader Vic's in Seattle, 1948. Did it become world famous then? No. It became world famous when the Mai Tai was brought to Hawaii. And I'll talk about, we can talk about the specifics, but it became famous in Hawaii as a as this exotic drink. Oh, we had this great drink called the Mai Tai. Let's, let's try to get one of those at, at home when you go back to the mainland or whatever. And that's where its reputation really started was in Hawaii. And people thought it was a native Hawaiian drink because it's got this sort of Polynesian sounding name and that's sort of where it kind of started. And then 
this, of course, is coincidental with the the exposure, the interest in Hawaii into statehood in the late 1950s and all the tourist stuff that started happening in the 60s and beyond. Especially because it was right about that time, you know, when the Cuban Revolution and things like that, the Caribbean had kind of run its course. And I think Mm -hmm. definitely people that were able to travel were looking for something different. And the, you know, between the Donda Beach Comer and Trader Vic's really excited the world to uh, to this, the other half of the country and what's going on over there in the other ocean. It's funny about um, the Mai Tai, you know, the Trader Vic from, you know, starting it, you know, st- the whole idea of, of Tiki starting on in the U.S. is is what probably what got me into it because I love the idea of, it's not fake, it's he, you know, Don the Beach, you know, Ernest Gant did go out and get all these things from these travels and stuff like that. And Trader Vic did go down to the Caribbean and learn how to make daiquiris from Constante Rubadagua and all that stuff. It, he, they did all this stuff, but the idea of putting it together to make something what you see in your head as exotic it always fascinated me, especially as a writer. Like I, I, there's, I always say there's nothing. I'd rather stare at a blank page than a full page because like a blank page could be anything. So it's. It's uh, when Tiki came out of their heads, it's awesome. But, and then taking it to a place where you expect it to be from. And it reminds me of this quote from, uh, from Harry Yee, who was, uh, who said, uh, we're talking about the blue Hawaiian. He said, um, you know, there were no drinks from Hawaii. So I just made stuff that I thought people would think was from Hawaii. (laughs) So, and it kind of, the Mai Tai was sort of that thing before that thing. Like, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So how this started was that Trader Vic had been, he had originally created a partnership Trader Vic's location in 1940 in Honolulu and the partnership went sour real fast. And so I guess as part of the parting agreement, Trader Vic, you know, he sort of ceased the state of, or the territory of Hawaii to this other guy who was, who was his partner so he couldn't come and open up a Trader Vic's location in Honolulu as, as the city started building and getting larger after the war. But he was pretty famous for this for his culinary arts and bartending and everything else. And so the Matson Company, which owned the Royal Hawaiian Hotel and the Moana Hotel, contracted with Vic to have him put some drinks on their menu for their hotels. And one of those drinks was the Mai Tai. And it's interesting. There's a I found an article from 1953, right after this menu change had occurred, and it, it was a little was one of those little gossip column type articles talking about Trader Vic is here and he's overseeing drinks and all this stuff, and and they asked you know him about the the menu and he said that the Mai Tai was his favorite. So this is Trader Vic 1953 before anything happens, saying that the the, the Mai Tai was his favorite. This isn't 20 years later, the Mai Tai is world famous. Of course, that's my favorite, whatever. Mm-hmm. This is right from the beginning. He said, it's my favorite. And so either he knew that this would be a drink that would be appealing and he wanted to promote it. Or he, as a proud father, thought, okay, this is my favorite child. And this is the one I'm going to promote a little bit. And it's really interesting if you think about all the fight that he had with Don the Beachcomber and other people to be credited as the father of the drink. The fact that even back very early, he was saying this was his favorite. Actually, puts a lot of that uh, fight in context. I think it's funny. I, you know, living here in uh, 
Nashville, Tennessee. Now I can't help but to make a country music reference. And it was sort of like uh, Trader Vic was sort of like the Hank Williams of Tiki, right? Because he didn't invent it, but he made it popular. Uh, I, 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 I don't I don't know country music well enough uh, to say whether that's an accurate statement or not. But but, uh, you know, he certainly didn't invent it. That's for sure. Everyone under, acknowledges John. The but Beach I think invented this genre. Surely. I, I think everybody acknowledges it. That is nerds out about it like we maybe do. But I think if you ask anybody who's not into Tiki, what the most popular Tiki drink is, they're going to say the Mai Tai. And mm -hmm. and there's there's a lot more Trader Vic's all over the country than there are than there were down the beachcombers. Now, I mean, hell, I I got one three hours away from me in Atlanta, and that so they're all over the place. Um, now, would I? Uh, I don't mean any disrespect. I mean, would I? I would love to go to a down the beachcomber. I wish they. I wish I got to live during that time. I just mean that I think people associate the Mai Tai, which was Trader Vic's invention, with tiki, you know, sure. as, as the most popular thing. Yeah. Um, but so once it blew up over in Hawaii and then everybody started thinking of it as a Hawaiian drink, uh, when uh, I'm trying not to assume too much because I'm looking at the article right now. So I want to make sure the listeners get uh, a sense of what I'm looking at. So when would you ex when do you think the the changes started happening or how did it? I, I'm looking for the right words, but it didn't necessarily um it did evolve and devolve and change over time and became a little bit more Hawaiian, almost in a sense of art imitating life. That's right. I think everyone assumes, and, and I see so many articles these days, and it, it gives me the heartburn that Trader Vic had about uh, <laughs> things when there was misinformation, is that, well, Trader Vic, you know, everyone knows that he was the one who brought the Mai Tai to the, the Royal Hawaiian and they wake up today and they look at the Royal Hawaiian Mai Tai and they see this pineapple juice and the dark rum float. And they said, well, that must have been what Trader Vic did. So they credited him with adding pineapple juice to the Mai Tai. But the, the original Hawaiian Mai Tai did not have pineapple juice. So this idea that he added pineapple juice when he brought it over is a myth. And in fact, um, the earliest record we have of what was in this Royal, Royal Hawaiian Mai Tai comes from a letter that Vic himself wrote to a customer in 1956. So it's a pretty good source. Um, and it's interesting, the components here are very close to a 1944 style Mai Tai, um, but with a one little change that I think is, is, is notable. So we have a juice of one lime, same as before, and it calls also for a dash of rock candy syrup, a dash of curacao and a dash of orchard. And um, a dash in, in that kind of measurement is a quarter ounce. So it's a little less sweet than the traditional 44. And you have a, an ounce and a half of what he called Trader Vic's Puerto Rican rum and three quarters of an ounce of Myers's Plantation Punch rum. Stir or decorate with fresh mint. So this, uh, well, first of all, Trader Vic, of course, is going to recommend his own white label uh, Trader Vic's Puerto Rican rum. <laughs> We find and, that a lot you know, in the recipes, right? When it, in his books, they all call for his rums. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And and Myers was a very available uh, dark Jamaican rum uh, in, in the 1950s. Very, very famous during this period. So you've got, you know, basically the same stuff in a 44, except it's using this lighter rum paired with a good dark Jamaican rum. Probably neither of those rums are well aged. Um, they're certainly not high end. 
And the notable difference here is that this light, light Puerto Rican is going to make this drink not so challenging for tourists, right? The people who come to Trader Vic's famous restaurant in the Bay Area, where he has all these fancy foods that people have never tried before, you know, yeah, a 15-year-old Jamaican rum, a 17-year-old Jamaican rum to sort of give people something to chew on a little bit, that makes a lot of sense. But for tourists, well, first of all, getting those rums over to Hawaii could be a problem, but just you're not going to give them the challenging drink here. Mm-hmm. He's going to give you a light, lighter drink, but still with some Jamaican rum in there. And this, uh, I've tried this version. It's, you know, it's pretty good. It definitely is lighter, very easy to drink, perfect for a tourist. But no pineapple juice, not yet anyway. Not yet. So I don't know if, I don't want to give too much of the article away. Um, we don't have to go through every one, but give us a brief, like what was the next major step? Yeah, yeah. Well, this this idea of using the light Puerto Rican along with basically the same 44 uh, ingredients, this is a recipe that I see later in the 1950s. I even see it into the 60s and beyond. So this sort of light Puerto Rican and dark Jamaican combined and with varying amounts of this um, uh, the sweeteners is very common throughout this period. But by the late 1950s, and especially into 1960s, you start to see recipes that call for pineapple juice. And it's no wonder because everyone was pineapple crazy back in the 50s and 60s out there in Hawaii. You know, Dole was very famous. And, you know, if you're going on vacation to Hawaii, you, you might think of that pineapple juice is probably in a lot of stuff. And it probably doesn't, you know, maybe it was an accident. Maybe it was a customer who said, you know, I'd like to try some pineapple juice in that Mai Tai. And then they they liked they you know tried it and they liked it and then the enterprising bartender pretty smart hey let's start throwing this stuff in um, it's interesting we we see one of the recipes that actually they give you all the ingredients and it says pineapple juice if desired mm-hmm. like like okay maybe maybe in the way that people sometimes like we'll do a float as an extra you can get pineapple juice as an extra or whatever so I think that's it's that's how it's kind of evolved was. Maybe you want to put it in there. Maybe you don't want to put it in there. But people started to like it in this kind of version. But all these recipes are still, you're seeing the light rum with a dark rum for mostly for flavor. Um, and again, traditional Mai Tai ingredients, the curacao, the orja, uh, some sweetener, and either lemon or lime juice or some combination. One of the things, well, actually, before I say that, let me tell you, I thought it was funny that you mentioned the popularity of, of pineapple at the time, especially in that era of tourism uh, coming down there. Um, there's also a, uh, I don't know, maybe it's just my conspiracy theorist. There might be a darker side to it. We all know that Hawaii was a, uh, was not, you know, was annexed for money, I guess we could mm-hmm. say, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and the Dole company did have a lot of influence over the businesses at the time. So there might have been a little bit of a push to start adding pineapple juice to uh, to things for tourists, especially when they were, you know, when it became a booming, you know. Uh, so that, that I'm, I'd have no proof of that, but that's just one in my head. I wonder well, if that could have been a thing. Absolutely right. And you, this is this this exotic um, ingredient, the fruit, the juice that people have maybe maybe never tried before, and they're going to push it out there in Hawaii because then people go back home and then they want to demand it. It's just like the Mai Tai, right? So of course, of course they would do that. Like any, like any place people that the native um, species or, or whatever that's unique to that area, 
that you always hype that to the tourists because then it gets people hyped and maybe start being able to import it into the United States or wherever. So I noticed something. Um, I hadn't made a Hawaiian Mai Tai for myself in a long time. And the last time I had one was when I was in Hawaii. But last night after I read your article, I decided to go ahead and, and make one. And I, I like the, uh, the kind of the, the pineapple juice with the, with the float on top. And one of the things I noticed was sort of like, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm overanalyzing and this was, this was not the intention and I'm just making something there that was not there, but you know how sort of when you drink an old fashioned and you put the big cube in it, the first sip is going to be a lot different than when the cube starts melting and it starts mixing the drink. And it's supposed to do that. It's supposed to change Mm -hmm. over time. A good old fashioned Mm -hmm. should change as you drink it. And I noticed with the float on top, it seems like a very, you know, it seems like that very Florida tiki bar college kid kind of thing to do. You just dump that float on top and take to add an extra buzz to it. But I did notice when done right with good juice and good rum, that float over time does change the drink as you sip on it. You know, of, of course, I'm like right now I'm sipping one with a, you know, you know Smith and Cross on the bottom and then the, the, the Karuba on top. And you definitely notice the you know, the pot still at first when you're drinking it. And then as that Karuba comes in, you get that heavy molasses and everything. And it, it does change the drink over time. And that might've been an unintentional uh, 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 effect, but where do you think the, did the float come in just because it was a popular thing at the time? Or do you think there was any, any trying to differentiate themselves? Like why, why do you think the float became popular? Well, we see some of these recipes calling for float as an option, especially a 151 float. That's a let's add some extra booze type of thing. But I think if you look at the traditional Hawaiian Mai Tai with the pineapple juice and light rum on the bottom, right? It's going to be, you have your light bottom and then you float that stuff, the dark rum on top, and it creates this very iconic looking cocktail. And you know what? Again, the visual components here are very important because no one will be talking about a yellow Hawaii, if Harry Yee had not put the blue curacao in the drink, right? <laughs> it's the blue curacao makes the difference. And that's why people like it. And it's just the same with the, with the dark rum float. And to your point though, there's lots of people who like all the stuff mixed together because then you have all the flavors going right away. But it is an interesting experience when you start with the light stuff on the bottom. And then as you drink it with a straw, that the, the, the heavier, the more flavorful rums that come down from the float, you do get a little bit of that taste in there. And yeah, it does end with a little bit of a kick as well, which isn't necessarily a terrible thing. So it can be a great way to experience the cocktail for sure. So where do we end up when it comes to the, uh, you know, not giving the article away too much. I want everybody to go read it, but where can we sum, where can we sum up the, where the Hawaiian Mai Tai is today? Well, well, I think that one of the things that's real interesting is that Again, people assume that the Royal Hawaiians started putting the pineapple juice in right away. But near as I can tell from the research I found is that they were probably later to the game than earlier in terms of that. And I don't see a published recipe with pineapple juice attributed to the Royal Hawaiian until 1972, which is quite late in all of this. And, uh, you know, it's I I think maybe that was because they wanted to keep the original all along or whatever. Um, their sister property, the Moana, made a big deal in 1986 about going back to the original formula 
and they had front page news in the newspaper and all this stuff. Guess what? It didn't last. They're back to serving the, the Mai Tai with pineapple juice because that's what people like out there. If you want a good Mai Tai in Hawaii and you want it to be a 44 style, kind of have to go to a craft cocktail place and that's yeah. not a place for tourists. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, I mean, like you mentioned in the end of the article, it's, uh, the fans can't be wrong, right? They, they want what they want. The tourists want what they want. And I've come to, I've always had this thing. Maybe it's because I grew up in a very tourist part. I mean, I grew up in Orlando, Florida. Come on. I, I, I grew up in the tourist capital. So it's, I've never hated tourism. I've always appreciated for what it is. And I think the, one of the things that I've always tried to do with this podcast is combine the, the tourism with the craft, combine the popular with the, with the nerds, you know, like to make it, it's, we're all doing the same thing. Let's, uh, let's approach, let, let's, like I tell people all the time, I, I have a bottle of Hampton sitting right next to a bottle of Bacardi right now. Like there's time and a place for everything mm-hmm. and it's, it's fine. So uh, I love this article because it, through all of the, and I hope everybody goes and checks it out, but through all of the, the dissection and the de-evolution you did, you ended up with the fact that if people like it, then it's going to be popular. That's right. I mean, I think that there's a lot of cocktail snobs, and I consider myself one, who don't necessarily love this pineapple juice um, Mai Tai. And, you know, for some of these recipes, when there's two ounces of pineapple juice and two ounces of orange juice and only a couple ounces of rum in total, and half of that is Bacardi, you know what, I'm probably not going to like that and I think it's mm. particularly good. But if you if you dial back the juice a little bit and use good rums, it can be quite a, a good cocktail. All right, let's talk about something because no, everybody knows I happen to be opinionated on about my about my cocktail snobbery. So let's talk about something that I we chatted briefly about on social media, but I've heard you mention this to other people in, in other threads. You like a particularly sweet drink? Um, I lean sweet in terms of my ingredients. Yes, I uh, and I I have a like right now, and I don't want to talk bad about any company. I'm using a very popular um, Orjak company right now that a lot of people use on social media. And to me, uh, it's got an orange label and it's very sweet. And it's a, uh, it's just, it's um, not ah, what the hell I, I talk about all the time. It's Lieber. I'm not a big fan of Lieber because it's, it's very sweet for me. Now it's got a great Orjat flavor. It's got a great almond flavor, but it's way too sweet for me. And if he mix that with a Demerara, it just ruins the drink for me. So, uh, um, that definitely, uh, but maybe that's the fact that I grew up on the, on, in Florida drinking, uh, daiquiris and margaritas. So I like my drinks a little bit more tart. Um, so I tend to lean, I tend to go the full ounce of lime juice and then scale back. I actually, I usually leave the simple out and just go with the, with the Orjat by itself. Yeah. A lot of people leave the simple or rock candy syrup out and, and even sometimes, or they'll go half ounce simple or a quarter ounce simple syrup and a quarter ounce orja and a Mai yeah. Tai. So again, you're getting a little bit uh, less sweet and yes, it's three quarters lime versus one ounce of lime. Again, that's a way you can dial it uh, up or down a little bit, depending on your preference. And, and, you know, as you noted, depending on what kind of rums you're using, those things may play better with each other as Definitely. well. So it just, 
sort of depends on your palate and what ingredients you have at play here. Now, if Lieber and Co. ever wanted to sponsor the podcast, I would change my mind. But I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. They, they make an excellent passion fruit syrup and an excellent blood orange cordial, which I really love. Uh, I'm not they're They're sort of middle of the ground for me on the uh, commercial or uh, We talked earlier. Latitude 29 is my favorite Mine too. Uh, commercial. Yeah. Mine too. In fact, uh, um, and again, I'm not talking bad about any company. Everybody has their own taste. It's just, it's just it's a little bit too sweet for me. But I agree with you on the passion fruit because it's hard to find a good passion fruit syrup out there. And I am kind of a, uh, a nerd for an old school hurricane. So I do like my passion fruit syrup when it comes to the classic hurricanes, but yeah, man, my, that, that latitude 29 orget is, a uh, probably my, my go-to. I, I just, I like the, the floral notes of it. It's a little bit more bright. Uh, it's got a little bit more complex, I think. Do you, in your, uh, I mean, we, we got a few minutes left here, man. So let's just BS for a minute in your, in your searches throughout the, the different Mai Tais, uh, what do you, what have you found that sticks out to you? That's maybe similarities you notice or differences you notice that maybe um, I don't know. Maybe like are, does, does everybody kind of stick to a basic recipe? Is it mostly the rums that change? Or I mean, you kind of t- we kind of touched on it earlier. It, it's very the the tartness and the sweetness, just like cooking, could be a big deal. But are there any trends that you notice throughout your journey? Well, I think that the rum blends that a that a particular establishment brings to the table will be a big part of the the flavor. Um, just as an example, Rumba does a custom rum blend for their mai tais. It's a combination of like five different rums that they sort of batch up together. So what that means is that when you come into that establishment, their mai tai is gonna taste different from the one you make at home, even if you have all the rest of the ingredients and know mm-hmm. how to make it the right way, right way. And so it can be a way to sort of be really interesting and unique. Um, on the other hand, uh, Smuggler's Cove, they have an excellent Mai Tai as well. And they're using the Denizen Merchants Reserve that anybody can buy, right? But their Mai Tai tastes different. And why? Because they're making their own Orja and they use that, uh, it's like a vanilla syrup as, as a sweetener. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's giving you a little bit of a different kind of flavor profile than what you would have if you made it at home using sort of traditional ingredients. So the the syrups will be a factor for sure in, um, you know, what anybody's offering in terms of their, their product. uh, You know, when you go up to the bar, you make your own syrups at home. I do not. I am notoriously lazy. I don't even make simple (laughs) syrup uh, for the most part. So I buy all commercial. I've made molasses syrup is the only one because there's no commercial molasses syrup. I have just gotten in the last year or two, I have gotten uh, more, more adventurous. I haven't gotten into making my own orgia yet because I feel like there, I do have a line. Like if it gets a little bit too complicated, I, I could do simple syrups. You know, it's easy. I can make cordials. I can do syrups, things like that. But when it comes to, uh, when it comes to slicing open a vanilla bean, I'm like, I, I don't know. That's a little bit too, <laughs> I don't like all that work, man. Yeah, we well on the uh, on the website we've got some different uh, recipes for how to make your own orchard at home, varying all the way from, you know, blanching the almonds and doing that draining and all the other stuff to starting with almond milk as a as a way to sort of, you know, shortcut that a little bit. And I've had really good experiences with you know people who make 
at home uh, or Jah. They can, they're usually, honestly, they're usually better than the commercial stuff for the most part. So uh, that can be fun if you like to tinker in a kitchen and it can be a lot of fun and just develop your own house uh, syrups like that. I have a, uh, we call it the top shelf of my refrigerator. My wife makes fun of me. We call it the sticky shelf because that's where I have all the mason jars of all my different, like I'm the regular simple syrup. I got my Demerara syrup. I got my Smuggler's Cove double Demerara syrup. I got my, I got, you know, just whatever I have in the homemade sweet and sour and all that stuff. Like I just, whatever I make, it goes on the top shelf and there's always a, there's always a, a, a panoply of uh, stuff over there leaking. Cause apparently I, I can't get the, the lids back on right every time. So it, there's always a sticky top shelf. I was, I keep telling myself one day I'm going to buy actual bottles to put these things in and uh, to make it easier. But at that point, I have to give into my nerddom and just admit that I am. This is a thing. So, man, before we uh, before we wrap it up, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with me tonight. Uh, uh, hopefully you'll come back on someday. Next time we got something to talk about. I've I've been wanting to have you on for a while and just didn't want to have the same didn't want to talk about the same old thing you know so i'm glad we found something cool to talk about because i think if people i think the hawaiian mai tai could be a jumping off point for people to go out and try different versions of drinks that they might think are classic you know um there's all kinds of stuff out there you know here in nashville you know with bourbon's a big thing so you can find an old-fashioned pretty much made any way in the world uh so don't be afraid to go out and try you know, good. In, it's a, uh, oh my God, I'm going to quote Papa John's here, but, but better ingredients, better pizza. I mean, go out well, and it, try stuff. It, it's funny, you know, people, you know, give me a hard time sometimes about going places. And, you know, if I know it's going to be a crappy Mai Tai, I still try it anyway, because you never know. And partially because it's kind of my shtick here with the, uh, with the website and everything, but you have to try it. And just because you think it might be bad, it doesn't mean that it will be. And likewise, just because you think it's good, it doesn't always hold up either. So I, I think that's great advice to, you know, to be able to, to do that. Um, and then the other thing I want to men- mention uh, is that this article is a jumping off point. I'm actually going to be doing a presentation at TikiCon in July on the same topic with a little bit more detail because you can have a narrated uh, presentation and um, with a lot more of the uh, newspaper clippings and stuff like that that didn't appear in the Exotica Modern article, and some of which will appear on the website uh, once it's published. I could say, you guys out there, if you're listening um, and you're jumping in, whether you're a, a tiki enthusiast or a rum enthusiast, or you just hear about cocktails and maybe you just maybe this is the first time you're hearing the podcast and you just want to get into it. If you're in the area where these things are going on, go check them out. They're super fun. I will never forget what got me into Tiki was the Nashville Cocktail Festival about three years ago. I had already been into rums and, and tropical drinks for a couple of years, making you know mar- uh, margaritas and, and daiquiris and things like that. And then I went to a cocktail festival where I saw Jeff Beachbaum Berry speak and go through the history of Tiki in a brief little presentation and we came off the stage and uh, he came off the stage and we actually BS'd a little bit. And I asked him, um, I talked to him about how I was just getting into the genre and I was doing another podcast at the time and I was writing and I was starting stuff. And, and he didn't suggest to me one of his books, which he pretty easily could have done. He suggested me uh, to read and a bottle of rum by Wayne Curtis, which has now become my favorite cocktail book of all time. So that, uh, that, 
earned me a lot of respect from Jeff Barry. And even though I give him uh, some some ass sometimes because uh, I like to, that's just what I do. He uh, he was the one who jumped me off into this into this genre, and it was going there and seeing him live on a whim. So if you guys have the opportunity to go check these things out, go just go check it out and experience something. Even if you have no interest in it, what's it going to hurt? You're going to a cocktail uh, a lecture. Like go and learn how to make a drink, if nothing else. Or when you're on vacation, go check out the tiki bar that's in town. Um, you know, if you're in New Orleans, definitely check out Jeff's Bar uh, Latitude 29. It's uh, you know, it's it's funny. That was um, it's currently my number one ranked my time uh, of a commercial bar, and. I ran into Jeff at the Mai Tai Festival in the Big Island of Hawaii in 2019 and because he was one of the judges and I was, you know, checking it out. And I bumped into him and I I told him, I said, you know, your Mai Tai is now number one on my list. And he could not contain his enthusiasm. So uh, he's, you know, uh, he's such a good guy. And we owe so much to him. And my little bit of online sleuthing is just a drop in a bucket to all the hard work that he's put in to all of these things over the years. Uh, and we owe a, grat- a debt of gratitude to that guy for sure. Uh, but he is at the same time, just a, a good guy as well. That's awesome. man. I love to hear that about people. Uh, Cause I had a good experience with them. So uh, good to hear. And I had a good experience with you and thank you so much, man. I've been wanting to talk to you for a while. Like I said, I'm glad that we got to talk about something that I'm interested in and I'm excited to uh, see what else, you know, what comes out of this, 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 this project of yours and hopefully more people start, enjoying the Hawaiian Mai Tai. I know that I've revisited it since, uh, since we've been talking. So um, real quick, man, before we head out, let's just let everybody know where they can find you um, across the social meds and all that. Sure. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, best place to go is ultimatemaitai.com. Uh, that's the daily blog, plus all the articles, links and all that stuff. And then I am very active on Instagram as ultimate Mai Tai. And doing a lot of posting there too. So those are the two best places to get a hold of me. I'm also active on Facebook and other places as well. So um, feel free to reach out. I'm always happy to have a conversation, uh, give advice, give my two cents on a, you know, a rum blend or whatever. And uh, always look forward to seeing people out in the wild as well. And I am certainly, uh, now that the world has opened back up a little bit over here on the East Coast as well, I'm going to try to start making it out to some more of these events. I don't make it to the West Coast too often, but I I could start hitting some of the stuff here on the on the East Coast a little bit more, and hope maybe I'll catch you at some point another in person. Man, we'll get together and have a mai tai together. That'd be awesome. Great, thanks. So yeah, man. Um, all right. Well, if any of you guys make sure you follow Ultimate Mai Tai. In fact, the uh, Instagram is where I found him, and we've had some conversations on there. He's always posting cool stuff. You can always find Pod Tiki. Of course, at all your podcast platforms, uh, Spotify is probably my favorite, but uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio. Uh, you can find me always at podtiki.com where you can find all the past episodes, including this one. You can find all the recipe index from all the past stuff. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and put my favorite Hawaiian Mai Tai recipe up there um, for this episode. Make sure you follow the YouTube page for Pod Tiki. I'm posting stuff up there as much as I can but I need to get my followers up so I can start going live. That's what I really want to do is go live. So please go ahead and follow the, the YouTube page so we can get that going and be a little bit more interactive. Uh, you can always find me at rum underscore poet on Instagram, and you can find the podcast at pod underscore Tiki. And just want to thank one more time, Kevin Crossman, Ultimate Mai Tai for coming by and hanging out with this brother. And we'll see all you guys next time. Cheers and aloha.